Father, we thank you for everyone that's here this morning and everyone that will be hear the sound of my voice today because it's not my voice that we need to hear, but it's the voice of your spirit that we need to hear. And Jesus said these words are spirit and they're life. And so we turn to the precious Holy Spirit today who's been given to us and who's here among us today to take these words of life and make them real to us and words of life to us. Father, we're not here to hear theology. We're not here to hear man's ideas we're here for the living God to speak to us right where we are in, in our lives, in the middle of our lives right now, what it is that we need today. And Father, your word teaches us that the Spirit of God speaks to churches. And we believe that the Spirit is speaking to Faith Christian Center. And so, Lord, may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to grasp and understand what he's saying to us personally and what he's saying to us as a body of believers here together. And we have great confidence that you'll do this today because we know your character and your nature, but we also have your word on it. And so we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Open your Bible with me. We started last week in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, it's a holiday, and some of you may not have been here, and so I'm going to go back over a little bit of it this morning. We're uh, starting a, se- a series at the beginning of this year, which I felt it really led to do. It's entitled Seasons. Well, let me read the scripture. I'm just going to read... Uh, really, verse 1 here. Very familiar verse. It was a very popular song back in the, uh, the 60s or 70s. Um, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. What we're talking about is, and it's an appropriate time of year to do that, because we're in the beginning of a brand new year, and in many, many, to many people, it's the signal of something new. 2016 ended up, and for some of you, it was a difficult year. For me, it was a challenging year. But it was a great year because not only was it challenging, but we overcame by God's grace and grew probably more in 2016 than I have in years put together. And, but for some of you, it's been hard, difficult year. For some of you, it may have been a great year. But I've got a revelation for you. 2016's over. <laughs> it's done. Whether it was good or bad or somewhere in the middle, it's over and 2017 has begun. We're already a week into it. And it's, it's on a calendar. It's a new season. It's a new year. Literally, it's just another day. I mean, New Year's Day is a new day, another day. But it's a, it's a landmark for so many of us because what we do is it signals the beginning of something. It's a, a year has closed and end. We close a chapter on it. We do it tax-wise. And many, many businesses do it business-wise. And we begin a brand new year. And as we look back on 2016, we know what it had in store for us because we've been through it. When we began 2016, we had no idea what it had in store for us. But what we've seen is God was faithful to bring us through it. Because if you're here today, God brought you through it. So as we begin 2017, we recognize it's going to involve changes. It'll involve changes just by seasons. I mean, today's a great example of that. And so as we're in the middle of this, you know, we're not quite in the middle of it, but as we're into the, 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 the real heaviness of, of, of winter, which we have four wonderful seasons here in New England, we also recognize that whatever winter holds for us, spring's coming. It's coming. So we have that to look forward to. So, but not only are there seasons of the year, but there are seasons of life. Um, I'm, I'm in a, a season of life that's different than it was when I was in my middle ages. And di- different than it was when I was, you know, in my, my 20s and 30s. And, and as you move from one season to another, it requires some adjusting. There's a transition to it, fortunately. But as you go through the transition, you have to prepare to let go of the last season and enter into and enjoy the season that you're in. I remember several years ago as I began to face 
the age of 70 was looming over me. I've survived that. Looming over me, and it's like, what am I going to do? It's like, you know, 70 years. Please forgive me. It's old people, but then I realized I'm going to be one of those. So your definition of old changes, I find, as you get older. And uh, of the elderly, and you know, when they look at you at a restaurant, automatically give you a senior discount, and you didn't have to ask for it. It's like, okay. And I just, but this time where I've had trouble before, with my 50 especially, I began to talk to the Lord about it ahead of time. I, want, I don't want to struggle with this. And the Lord spoke something to me, which has really helped me. He said, son, don't look at your life in terms of years. Look at your life as an assignment. As an assignment. Because part of understanding seasons is recognizing that your 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years here on the earth is only a season. It's not all of your life. In fact, in the, in the, in the scope of eternity, the Bible says it's a, it's a hand's breath. It's nothing. And yet we make everything out of this. We try to hold on to it so desperately. We try to get everything we can out of it. And we should get everything we can out of it. We should enjoy it. But you can only truly enjoy it if you're not trying to hold on to it. If, if this work life is all there is, you will never really enjoy it. Because you'll live your whole life afraid of the fact it's going to end. And as you get older, you notice it ending for other people. And you can just figure out, you know, someday it's going to happen to me too. And then, but if you begin to see your eyes and your life in terms of what the Bible says our life is, it changes your whole perspective of life. But as we go through this life, there's seasons of our life. A church has seasons. And by that, I don't just mean, you know, winter, summer, fall, and spring. I got them all, I think. But there's seasons. There are seasons in the body of Christ. There are seasons where different things are emphasized by the Spirit of God. And so one of the, the scriptures has always meant so much to me. I've just kind of hear it, and I spoke it in the prayer. There are several places where Jesus said it. It's in the book of Revelation where Jesus is speaking to churches. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. So the Spirit of God has something to say to each individual church, if we'll just listen. And it's not going to be the same message. Because God's purpose for this church is well, maybe well different. Now we have a general purpose, which is to reach the lost, to bring the gospel of the lost. But how we do that, our role in doing that, is going to be very different in this church than it is from some other churches. Which is why you've got to find out from God what church he's assigned you to. It's not just, well, I like the choir, I like the color of the rug, I like this. No, it's where's God put you? Because that's where you're prosper. And if it's not here, you need to find where it is. And we'll help you find that. We'll pray for you. But if it's here, you need to be here and be part of that. So there's seasons for a church. And, and I just sense that we're, 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 because there are some things God's shown me to do, if, to begin to do this year. There's some changes that God wants in the focus of this church. That, that in order to do that, we have to be, we have to be, understand how to handle changes. And so that's what we began to talk about last week. Is Now, there's some changes that come into life. God's not involved in those changes. But there are changes, what this verse tells us, to everything there's a season, which means there's a beginning and an end. It's, never, it's not going to always be the same. A time for every purpose under heaven. Last week, we talked about a Greek word, kairos, which is, this is in the Old Testament, so this is in Hebrew. But the Greek word kairos, which talks about when, when Jesus says, you know, if, if you were, if to the Pharisees, we looked at that last week, he said, if you were at all sensitive, you know, you can recognize by looking at the, at the, at the sky, at the temperature, you can recognize the season that we're in. Well, in this part of the world, that's not so hard. You just have to look out the window and realize we're not in summer. 
So, but he says, but, but you're not sensitive the same way when it comes to spiritual things because you don't recognize the spiritual season that we're in. Because they had been believing for the Messiah to come and he was walking among them and they couldn't see him. They didn't recognize the season. In some places it's called the moment of visitation. And so every day with God when he's with the church is not the same. Every season is not the same. And it's very important that we recognize what those seasons are. One of the great writers of the 20, early 20th century was, was Andrew Murray. I love a lot of his writings. And he kept praying, spent so much of his life believing for a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But when it came, he, he fought it. He didn't recognize it because it didn't come in the form that he thought it was going to come in. So he didn't sense a great man of God, but he was looking in one direction and didn't see what God was really doing. And so we have to learn to be aware, sensitive to the seasons that we're in, in our own life, in the seasons that we're in our church. And then we have to learn, how do we change? How do we change? We looked at uh, a, a verse, let's go quickly to Matthew chapter 9. I'm just quickly reviewing. Change is part of life. Change is part of life. It's part of a church. I can look out now. And I, we've been coming here 20, almost 25, 25 years, at least that. But there are people here that have been coming longer. But I can probably count on one hand the people that were here near the beginning. So we have a lot of people that have come and a lot of people that have gone. And Faith Christian Center is still here. And so a church changes. Your body changes. I'm going to understand, and I'm not a doctor, but I, from what I understand, and I may not have the year right, but you're not the same person you were seven years ago. Your body's constantly, cells are dying and they're being replaced, which means whatever billion of cells you have in your body right now, they're not the same billion cells you had seven or eight years ago. And it doesn't take a, you know, a great insight to realize on the outside you don't look the same as you may have seven or 10 or 17 or 20 years ago. So we're always in the process of change. Your body's always doing something. When you're sleeping, your body's changing. Things are changing. And, and some of those changes we just take for granted, but other changes we recognize and we get uncomfortable around them. And we've got to learn how to handle those transitions and changes so that they become a transition and not an abrupt change and so that we cooperate with them. Now, again, there's some changes that come that are not from God. They're not good. But a lot of things that are changes that God is directing in our lives. And so we need to learn how to cooperate with Him so we can go through the change and we can grow in that change. We've looked at, at the end of last year, and I referred to that, we spent quite a bit of time last year looking at the children of Israel. And God was bringing about a change for them. He wanted to bring them out of Egypt, where they were in bondage, where they were in poverty, where they were oppressed. And He wanted to bring them into a land that He had called and ordained for them to go into, a promised land. And he, it was His purpose to bring them in there so that He could bless them and prosper them, and so they could be a witness to the world of what God is like. That's what God wanted to do. And He got them out of Egypt, but he couldn't get them into the promised land because they didn't know how to handle the change. They didn't know how to handle the transition. Because what happened, there was, to summarize it really was, they got out of Egypt, but they never got Egypt out of them. So they kept longing as God was showing them what he had for them. Their heart was back in Egypt. Their mind was back in Egypt. Their memory was back in Egypt. And there's a verse in Hebrews 11 that says, if you keep thinking about where you came from, you will have an opportunity to go back to it. 
So if you keep thinking about how things used to be before you were saved in the world, oh, I could go hang out with my buddies on Friday night at the bar and I can't do that anymore, all these things, you will eventually have an opportunity presented to to go back into it and you don't want to go back into the world you were brought out of. So God had to take Israel in spite of the fact that it was his call and destiny and purpose for them, and he had to keep them wandering around in the wilderness for 39 years. So the lesson of this is if we don't know how to accept and cooperate the change that God brings into our lives and the change that he brings for a church, God won't, won't stop loving us, but we'll, never, we'll, we'll have to wander around in circles. And there's a word for that. It's called stagnation. And in nature, anything that stagnates begins to, begins to create a culture for bad things to grow. Yeah, mosquitoes. <laughs> That's a good start. But anything that stagnates, algae grows, things begin to grow, and good things can't grow and bad things grow. So if our life is stagnating, bad things are going to begin to grow in our heart. Attitudes are going to begin to grow. If a church stagnates, bad attitudes will begin to grow. Discontent begins to grow. And all that begins to focus in on me. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not. But when things are moving towards a direction, when things are moving towards a purpose, when there's a purpose of why I come to church, when there's a purpose for why this church is here, when there's purpose and we're working or moving together towards that, life begins to flow. Life begins to flow. And, of course, the classic example of that is the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is full of life because water flows into it and water flows out of it. But it all ends up down in the Dead Sea, which, by the name, gives you some idea of what it's like. In the Dead Sea, nothing can grow because it just collects down there. And as a result, the, 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 the minerals in it, be, be, don't, don't, the water evaporates and the minerals are left, so it has a higher concentration of minerals and nothing can grow in there. And so it's dead. And so bad things happen in there. So we don't want to have that happen in our lives. We don't want to have that happen in this church. We don't want to have this happen in any part of our life, our families or anything like that. So we we are in the process of, but to do that, we've got to know how to handle that change. There's a scripture we looked at. I think we looked at it. It's in Matthew chapter 9. It's a principle Jesus was trying to teach them. And we're going to look today at, at how Jesus tried to help them through it. In Matthew chapter 9, should be a well-known verse to most of us. So verse 16 says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Why is that? Because the, 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 the unshrunk cloth put on an old garment, when you wash it, the unshrunk cloth is going to shrink and pull away from the garment that's already been washed and won't shrink again. And then he goes on to the next example, verse 17. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. Now, we're not so familiar with that today, but the principle is this, from what I understand. If you put newly fermented wine in a container, as it continues to ferment, not foment, ferment, it will begin to expand. And if a, a, a new, an old wineskin, because wineskins were made of animal skins, and animal skins will stretch when they're new, but as they get older, they've already stretched, so they won't stretch anymore. So if you put new wine, wine that's going to expand as it continues to ferment, in a, in a container that won't, won't expand with it, 
then what will happen as that wine expands, it will break the container. So the principle Jesus is teaching here is that when new things begin to be birthed, you've got to be willing to change how you do certain things. Now, what we're going to begin to look at um, is today. uh, The other thing I talked about is when we don't change, we stagnate and we begin to die. So you're you're either in the process of changing and growing or you're in the process of stagnating and dying. You can't just say, I'm taking time out and not doing anything. Because you're going to, it's like rowing up river. You're either making progress up river, or if you stop rowing, you go down river. So you're, you're going one direction or the other, and we get to choose which direction we're going, whether we're going to grow forward or go backwards. But we're going to, we get to choose, and the difference is significant, not just for us, but also for all that God has called us to do. Because that, that, that the nation of Israel, the generation that couldn't get into the promised land because they couldn't adjust to the change, it didn't only affect them, it affected their children and their families because they spent the next 39 years wandering around in the wilderness just like the generation that chose not to go in. So the decisions we make about growth and change and transition and maturing, those decisions don't just affect us, they affect all the people around us, our family and all the people that God has intended for you to affect. You know the, the, the movie, we, you know, the fa- famous popular movie at Christmas time, It's a Wonderful Life? The whole thing's about that. Because he thought his life didn't amount, didn't amount to anything until he was, went back and saw what his life would have been like, what other people's life would have been like if he were never born, and saw he had a tremendous effect that he didn't realize he has. So our lives have an effect, whether you realize it or not, on other people's lives, which then affect other people's lives, which then affect other people's lives. So what we do, how we respond to the seasons that God is moving us through is critical, not just for us, but for many other people. So what we're going to begin to look at today is our humanness. Anybody human in here? <laughs> Some of you aren't awake, so you don't know if you're human or not. That fact means you're human. <laughs> Our humanness does not like change. In our humanity, in our flesh, we basically don't like change. And we're going to look, begin to look at today why. Because if we don't understand about the, 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 the process of change, if we don't understand our resistance to change, we won't understand why we're, we're doing what we're doing. And we're going to see that the Bible gives us answers to these resistances in our humanity. So, in nature, things either tend to, that are in motion tend to stay in motion, or things that are still tend to stay still. I don't know if you've ever seen the example of, well, if you've ever gotten your car stuck somewhere, or your, your battery died, and you tried to push it, that car that's still, that 2,000 or 3,000 pound, it's very, you can't do that. But if somebody's got it moving and you come along behind it, it's much easier to keep it moving if it's already been moving because it has what's called momentum. But that same tendency of something that's in motion to remain in motion works against you if there's no motion because it's harder to get something moving that's not moving than to keep something moving that's already moving. So when our tendency is to just, I don't want to do any more, I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to be comfortable. And what you're doing is you're deciding to not move. 
You're saying, I'm not willing to grow. I'm not willing to change. And we're going to look at what, why that happens, why we do that, so that we can, can, can change, to, can get that motion going. Our humanness tends to resist change for various reasons. And we're going to look at a couple of them. And then we're going to look at how God handles this. The biggest one that I believe is the fear of the unknown. As I just said earlier in the introduction, 2016 doesn't scare me because I know what happened. But it can, 2017 can scare you, especially if you look at the news. I mean, there are people so panicked over the results of this last election. They were threatening, they were thinking, I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to do, how we're going to, it's, it's, it's like the, 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 the chicken little and the sky's going to fall in. And the more you talk about it, the more you get worked up about it. And, and forget God's still on the throne. And remember, the news media makes money by getting attention. And the best way to get attention is to get people afraid and get people concerned and get people anxious. And I'm not saying they have a malicious intention. It's just human nature. That's why 95, at least percent, of the news is bad news. And yet it's called news, but it's really bad news. This is good news. This is good news. And I have good news for you today. It is going to be a good year. So in our, in our humanness, we tend to resist change, mainly because of the fear of the unknown. So we're going to look at the answers that God has to this. Now, why, why does the unknown threaten us? What I've found is, for 20-some years as a pastor, and I know other pastors have too, one of the most frustrating things sometimes is to see someone in a, destru- in a destructive relationship. And I'm not trying to get involved in anybody's marriage right now, so I'm not speaking to anybody. I'm not thinking of anybody. I just want to put that out there right now. But it's the best example I can think of. Let me go back and give you the basic principle. The basic principle is this. In our humanity, because we're un- we don't like change, because it's- we don't know what the future is going to be, we'd rather deal with the status quo, no matter how bad it may be, because I know, I know what this is, but the change, what's not known, could be worse. It's like the devil you know is worse than the, is not is not as bad as the devil you don't know. So it's because it's the fear of the unknown. It's, so change, we often resist it because at least I can deal with what I've got now, and I don't know what I don't know what that's going to mean, what it's going to change in my life, and I don't know whether I'm going to like it. I don't know whether I can do it, and and so I'd rather stay where I am. And these things go on in the back of our mind. Sometimes not so far in the back. Sometimes more in the front. Sometimes, we, <laughs> I didn't want to say this, but I, it's true. Sometimes we don't want to change because we're lazy. Just plain lazy. Proverbs talks a lot about lazy. Just lazy, because change involves work. I'm going to give you one of the most traumatic changes you can run into in church. You come in to church running a little bit late. You greet the people you'd usually greet. And you run down to your seat. And someone's sitting in it from first service. Now, I'm not thinking of any examples this morning. And, and you get all upset and flustered and said, they're sitting in my seat. Well, your name's not on it. You didn't pay for it. And it's like, but I've got to sit somewhere else. 
It's been a long time, but remember years ago, I'm not sure, I, I'm sure we did this, that, that we tried sleeping on a different side of the bed. I mean, we've been married, this, this year we'll be married 50 years. And, and for 50 years, I've been sleeping on, as you face the bed on the right side, and she sleeps on the left side. If we were to switch, I'm not sure I could sleep. <laughs> it's the same bed, it's the same room, it's the same person next to me. But you get in these ruts. You understand what a rut is? A rut is a grave with the two ends kicked out. When you keep doing the same thing over and over again and you forget why you're doing it. And that begins to create a stagnation. So you're doing the same thing, but you don't have a sense of the purpose, which may be still there. It may be legitimate, but you've lost touch with it. And that's true of our lives. This is why Pastor Rick Warren made, you know, his book hit the bestseller list years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. The reason that book was so powerful is it resonated with one of the most basic needs that people have is to recognize that they have a purpose. And then how do I find out what that purpose is? And so this is what we're going to talk about. So one reason is we just, we're just lazy. It takes work to change. If I come in here, somebody's sitting in my seat, now I've got to decide what other seat I'm going to sit in. And sometimes that's good to do. I did it in the church I had years ago, a small church. I, felt, I just sensed that people were kind of in that kind of rut. And I went in on Saturday and I rearranged all the chairs. Now you couldn't do it here, but I rearranged all the chairs and I moved the pulpit into the middle of the room and had the chairs go out in four different directions. And I, I got early because I wanted to watch people come in. <laughs> a little bit sadistic in there maybe. Now. And I watched it and because my, what I wanted to talk to them about is you're in such a rut, you can't hear because that's the problem. When you get in a rut, it's hard to hear. I found that this year I got meaning out of scriptures at a level I've never gotten out of before. Why? I've known them, preached them because I had a greater need to hear the truth about them. And that need is what drives us to listen more carefully. And when we're comfortable, when things are going well, when we're in the routine, we don't have, we have a, 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 sometimes a false sense of security and therefore we don't really need to listen carefully. I don't need God. I don't need God to speak to me today because, because everything's going okay. Or at least I can handle what's, what's going on right now. But when things get bad and I can't handle it, that's when I cry out to God and I'm listening. So what we need to learn how to do is to listen when we're not in a crisis. Then maybe we won't get in the crisis. So sometimes, it's, sometimes it's, often it's because we're afraid of the change, we're afraid of, what the un, of the unknown, and sometimes it's just that we're just plain lazy and we just content to be where we are. Just, you know, and you can, this is one of the things I saw years ago. You can, you get to certain stages of life and you say, well, I'm tired. It's not worth the effort. What, what good is it to go through this change when I may have 10 years left, 15 years left? What good is it to go? Every day should be changed. We're going to look at that. But you can get to a point and like, well, you know, I've done my part. I've done my duty. I've, I've served. I've given. I've, you know, I, I've, it's time for somebody else to take over. That may be. But that doesn't mean you're done. That doesn't mean God's done. That doesn't mean it's time for you to pack up your suitcase and die. That's like my wife was telling me this morning. She says, you know, I've been just so close to the Lord lady. I feel like, you know, I'm almost ready to go. And then she looked at me and she says, I don't think I'm quite so ready yet. You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> I heard somebody say, you know, we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day it will be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you get upset and scared, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not quite so ready to go. <laughs> and why do we hold on to this life? We'll see that later. The greatest change is the change when you, when you take your body off and you move into, the, into your ultimate reward. And, and, and because we don't know what that is. Because we've never been there and seen it. We, we're afraid of that change. And I've shared with you, I've known several men in my career as a lawyer that, that uh, uh, actually one was a pastor, uh, that, that actually died, went to heaven, and came back alive again. And, and, and he said, once you've seen heaven, you can't fear. He said, if I try to make myself fear, I can't do it. Because I've seen I've seen that this life is just a, fa- a, a thin veil. It is just a wisp. That that heaven is so much more real, so much more glorious, so much more full of love and peace and joy. It's so wonderful. And I'm sure some of you read the book that was very popular a, number, a couple of years ago, written by a little, about a little boy who had died and went to heaven and came back. Colton, I think his name was. And his heaven is for real. That was, and they made a movie out of it. And it's like we don't base our belief system on, on people's experiences, but it does help to get, you know, travel reports back. It's okay. <laughs> so, so that's what we're going to talk about. So sometimes it's just that we're content where we are. Now, let's begin to talk about this. In order to deal with, in order to deal with the unknown, in order to deal with the change, you need a fixed point. Something to fix your eyes on. Something to fix that you know in the process of this change you can trust in. There's a scripture which <laughs> I spoke out about three years ago. And I really felt it was kind of a prophetic thing coming out of me. Now, I'm not a prophet, but it was, it was in it because right out of the word. It's in Hebrews at the end of Hebrews chapter 12, which says there will come a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that what remains is what's of God. And I used the example back then of what they don't think they do it anymore. But it used to be, in the old days, when part of spring cleaning was you'd sweep the carpet. And then when you were finished with that, you'd take it outside and hang it over the, the, the clothesline. And you would take a, carp, something, a carpet beater or something they had, and you'd beat the carpet. Why? Because although you ran this carpet sweeper over it, it didn't get all the particles. But when you beat it, what you did is that impact separates what's in there that looks like it's part of the carpet, but isn't from what's really part of the carpet. Everybody understand that example? And when you go through bumps in life, like I went through this last year, you find out where you really are. And when you, when you, when, and when began to, I began to go through some changes of several years ago of just certain people that I relied on and certain situations I relied on suddenly weren't there. And now it's like I felt, I felt shaky at first until I were why? Well, these, these people I would trust and these people, other situations, they're changing. So what it made me do is go back to God as my source. It made me go back to God as the one that provided these people. God is the one that provided this counsel. God is the one that provided this, whatever it is. God's the source behind that, and He's still here with me. And so there are times, you know, I don't want to get into God taking people out of your lives. I don't, I don't mean that. But sometimes God will allow things you've trusted in to not be there anymore because now you find out who you're really trusting Him. And so I use that as an example because in order to go through change, we have to realize that the way to go through change is to keep your eyes focused on a point. 
Now, I'm not, I've never done this, but my understanding, have you ever seen the figure skaters that go into these spins and they go, you ever wonder how they don't get dizzy and fall over? If I spin around too fast once, I might. (laughs) Well, my understanding is what they learn to do is they focus on something. So every time they turn around, they look at that same thing. I almost did it then. So they have a reference point that they turn around so, so they're not losing their... Also, how do they know when they're finished to go, ta-da, instead of ta-da? <laughs> oh, oh, hello. <laughs> Ever wonder about that? I do. I wonder about these things. I get sermon examples out of it, I guess. But they have a fref- frame of reference to look at to keep them focused. Those of you who have been through labor and delivery... Mm. <laughs> For some of you, you can still feel it. <laughs> My wife, we have four children that she brought into the world, two of them at almost the same time. They're twins. And each of those pregnancies, she went through that with natural, natural childbirth. And, and, but the, one of the things they taught us is to put something on the wall that you can look at other than your husband's face that you want to claw. <laughs> Something that you, that you can look at and keep your focus on it because when you keep your focus on that, that diminishes the fear. And that's a valid principle. And so what we're going to look at is how God provides this frame of reference. Without this, without a frame of reference that you're going through change, you become anxious. I mean, before I wasn't anxious because I know where things are. I know where my chair is. I know where my coffee cup is. I know which side of the bed I sleep on. I know, you know, so everything is settled. But when things start moving and changing in our lives, when things start moving and changing in your job or in church, it's like I begin to feel unsteadled. But if I've got a truth, I can st- if I have something I can stand on that never changes, that I know I can rely on, then I can hook myself up to that. And whatever change goes on around me, I know I'm going to be okay. And that, that focus, that focal point is truth truth. I've been to a number of seminars on, you know, church growth and change and all this stuff. And, and one of the principles is, is that is when you're going through changes, truth never changes. But methods and means do. How you communicate the truth. How, well, right, I mean, this is a great example. We've already gone through some changes. When this church was founded and first moved here in, what, 86? This was, we had a, a, blue, a pink carpet. We had white New England banisters, and some of you remember those. We had just a blank wall back there, and we had, at first, that's all it was, was some steps down. And then Pastor Sam, the founding pastor, said, I want to get closer to the people, so there was a little runner that we put out here. And then when we went to television 15 years ago, that pink didn't work too well, so we recarpeted it in blue, which works better on TV. And then it just began to bother me that this is, you know, we haven't changed anything. This was a couple of years ago, and I want to think, make things more modern. We're functioning differently. We have concerts now we never did before. And I want a more modern look. And, and so, so we began to invest two years ago in all these changes, and plus all the electronic gizmos and gadgets and things we have to give the nice colors and backgrounds and things like that. And now, and, and so, and, but I kept reminding you that, that although we do that, that doesn't change the message. 
that's just those are just helpful tools to assist us. So now we have screens where we can put we can put the verses up. And I love that because I can feel when we're looking at a verse, I never, and I didn't think of that when we did this, is I feel like I'm reading it together with you. And so, you know, my Bible's here, and I'm going to make a confession if you promise to not tell anybody, okay? Most of my Bible reading, I do off an iPad. <laughs> my research I do off an iPad, my notes are in an iPad. But I preach out of this because I want you to know I have a Bible. <laughs> so I've even changed how I read. And I have other books, I have books, you know, hard books I read, but most of them, even if I got one, I'll try to download because it's so much more convenient. And so, so we've got to be willing to make those cuts, but it doesn't change the truth of the word. And some people have trouble with that. So, well, if you're, you know, that's, you know, I, have to, I don't want to shock you. But God does not speak Elizabethan English. He can. So, some people have been taught that the only real Bible is the King James Bible. Well, what did they do before 1600? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John's got a Schofield. You know. <laughs> but we get locked in. We get locked in, but this is this is what I've always done, and that's okay. But and, there, and I'm not saying just start changing things, but sometimes we got to go to something better. But the truth has to stay the same. The truth is our point of reference. The truth is our point of reference. Methods and means need to change. There are some churches that in the next ten years will dry up because they weren't willing to change. We've always done it this way. The greatest obstacle to change is what well, we've always done it this way. But people haven't always done it this way. You know, people didn't always dress this way. People didn't always dress with a tie and a jacket like this. Jesus didn't wear a tie and coat. He wore a robe. But we don't walk around wearing robes today, do we? But the truth is we need to cover up. <laughs> the method of covering up changes. <laughs> I better get back on the word. <laughs> All right. So, there are certain things we need in order to go through the change to help us overcome this natural resistance. And those are things to focus on. We need to know what our focus point is. We need a purpose. Why we're going through the change in our own life. Or, and we need a hope, which is tied to the purpose that this change is going to produce something better. Now, I think as I go through this example, it will help you a little bit. So turn with me to John chapter 14, because we're going to see 12 men that are about to go through a change. The 12 disciples. And we're going to watch Jesus prepare them for this change. Now, I assume you agree with me, that Jesus knows how to do this. And that's encouraging because he knows how to help us through the changes of our life. So Jesus is now finished washing their feet, going through this example that he did for them. Got their attention. And now that he has their attention, he begins to talk to them about what is to come. Now he's been preparing them for this for the last three and a half years 
but they don't get it. In fact, we're not going to have a chance to look at that today. But if you keep reading on, even after it happened, they didn't get it. But he's preparing them. So he's already told them, there's a pointed time for me to die and to be raised from the dead. And, and they, yeah, yep, 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 yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, master, we understand that. And then they still didn't get it. So now that it's imminent, now that it's going to happen within the next few hours, in his last time together with a face-to-face, human-to-human contact with them, He's the, the, the heart of, this, of, this, of their master is to prepare them for this change. Not just so they'll come through it, but to prepare them for what's on the other side of it, that they can embrace what's on the other side of it. So we're going to walk through this, and there's several points I want to bring out to you that we can begin to learn from what Jesus did with these disciples. All right. Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. So that means he knew their hearts were being troubled. That also tells me I can control whether my heart's troubled or not. So, you know, while I'm human, not just naturally. It may be human, but I have control over my emotions. You, you know you can control your emotions? Your emotions don't control you. They can control you if you let them. But your emotions... We don't want to get there because that's a whole different course I teach. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, what's the first thing he's going to tell them? Believe in God. Believe also in me. So the first point of how we go through a transition and a change that God is orchestrating in our lives is we have to have trust and confidence in the heart of the one who's directing the change. So the very first thing Jesus tells them as they're beginning to get afraid and anxious is, is remember, it's, this is God that's doing this. And you have confidence in Him, have confidence in me. That this is not being done to hurt you. This is being done by someone who has your best interest at heart and knows how to do this. And God's the one. So Jesus is saying, it's important at the beginning is that you trust the one that's leading you through the change. That you trust the one who's, remember, for those seasons appointed under heaven, that you trust the God who is calling you to make the change. Okay. Believe in the heart, the one who's directing the change. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So now what he's doing is he's lifting their eyes off of what they're looking at right now. Because all they can hear are the words of things aren't going to go on. Understand, they were comfortable. They were comfortable. And I know they went through things, but they were comfortable. I mean, how can you get any better than having Jesus right there with you? You'd have to pray. You have to fast. You have to pray in tongues. You have to say, I don't know if that was the Lord's voice or not. If you want to know the Lord's presence, you just reach out and touch Him. If you needed anything, He's right there. 
And there's so many stories in the, in the, in the, in the gospels about this, about, you know, when they're in the, in the boat going to the other side and this terrible storm comes up and he's asleep on the back of the boat in a pillow and, 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 and they panic. And, and remember, we've talked about this a number of times. They're professional sailors. So this is so bad. They panic. What do they do? They go wake him up, which was smart. And they say, don't you care about us that you're going to let us die out here? Even though he said, we're going to the other side. So they had him there in the middle of a storm that they could turn to. And then they watched him get up, go to the bow of the boat, and just say, peace, be still, and walk back to them and says, how come you guys didn't do it? And then probably lay down and went back to sleep again. I mean, imagine whatever happens in your life, whatever, whatever were to happen today or tomorrow or, or this year, you knew that wherever you were, Jesus was right there with you and he could do anything can walk on water, speak to storms, raise the dead, heal anything that anybody that needs to be healing. Come April 15th, if you're short of money for taxes, he'll take you down and you throw your line out and catch a fish and there's the tax money. He did that with Peter, with Matthew, or Peter. I mean, everything's being taken care of. You, 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 you don't have to discern, God, what do we have to do today? Because the master's there, he's already done that. He spent the time praying and you're just getting the benefit of it. You can get used to that. You can get used to, I don't have to work. I don't have to discern anything. I don't have to be sensitive. I, you know, I don't have to protect anything. He's here. And now he's saying, I'm leaving you. And there's something about this where he said it before that made it more real. Oh, by the way, when you came into the city that week, everybody was acknowledging he's the Messiah. I mean, they're laying palm branches in front of him. They're, they're saying, Hosanna, here comes the, the you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're speaking. And it's, I mean, we're right along behind him. Whoa, this is the, everything we've dreamed about. Everything we gave up, our, all, our, everything we gave up is now coming to, to fruition. Now they're going to recognize he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. We're, 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 we're going to see it. And we're part of this. And now he says, yes, but by the way, I won't be here. I'm leaving. You going on vacation? No. I'm leaving here completely. And by the way, the way I'm going to leave is I'm going to go be crucified on a cross. I'm going to go from the ultimate success to the ultimate failure in front of your eyes. And you're going to panic and you're going to run. He's preparing them for that. So that when it happens, you know that this was something God was orchestrating, even though it looked terrible. I mean, if you walk by what things look like, they went from this tremendous victorious entrance to suddenly the people that were saying, you know, you know, Hosanna are now saying crucify him and they're watching everything they've given everything up for destroyed in front of their eyes in a matter of hours. And it's easy to sit in a blue chair in a warm sanctuary and think of that, but think about going through it. Some of you have gone through similar things. Everything was going well and all of a sudden... Everything seems to be falling apart. Everything was going well. Your finances were well. Your health was well. And all of a sudden, everything's turned upside down. What do you do? How do you handle that? That's what Jesus is preparing them for. So he says, in my father's house are many mansions. He's lifting their eyes off of where they are. What he's saying to them is there's a future for you. There's a reason for this. There's a reason for the transition you're about to go through. 
And there's a hope. There's something set in front of you. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. And we've taken that and think of, you know, I wonder what my mansion is going to be like. Well, maybe there are mansions, because with what I know of God, he's just likely to do something like that. But the word literally means dwelling place. There are many dwelling places in heaven. God has a place for you. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, you can trust me. I go to prepare one of these places for you. So he's telling them, there's a reason why I'm leaving. There's a reason for this change. And as horrible and as scary as it looks to you now, this change is because I have something better for you at the other end. Some of you look at me like, what's this going to mean? Just relax. You believe in God? Believe also in me (laughs) now. I go to prepare a place for you. All right. This change that we're about to go through is for your well-being. There's something on the other end of this change that is well worth what you're going to have to go through. So there's a hope that's set in front of them. There's a purpose that's set in front of them. This change is not because God's mad at us. He's not because God's abandoned us. God needs to bring us about a change because what God has for us requires us to go through a change. You understand, what God had for Israel required them to go through a change in order to receive what God has for them. I mean, the greatest example of that, you understand you cannot get into heaven with your body. You can't, you can't take this human body into heaven. It has to stay here. So in order to go to heaven, you've got to leave your body here. It's called dying. But we don't look at dying that way. We look at dying as the end of something, because that's all we know. To us, death is the end of something. But the Bible says the death of a saint is precious in God's eyes. Why? Because it's a change that takes place that brings you closer to His presence and Him closer to you. So God's perspective on the death of a saint, of, of, of a believer, is completely different than ours is on this side of it. And so the Bible gives us enough insights into what lies in front of us to want to go there. And enough insights into the other place to not want to go there. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right, just follow me along. Because somebody looking at me, what's he going to say? I'm just telling you, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I mean, it's scary for me if I don't understand these things too. And it's not scary, it's good. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Okay. Verse 4. And where I go, you know. Uh, Verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So what you're going to go through, you're not going to go through alone. I'm not abandoning you. It must have felt like that to them. I mean, I could touch him, and he's saying he's going away. I mean, there were times he'd go off and pray, but I knew he's coming back. But now he's leaving. And he's, he's not coming back, at least not right now. They didn't know when he was coming back. And so he's, it, he, he said, but I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again for you and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So not only is there a purpose for this change, not only is the, is the result better than what they have now, but he's going to direct them through this. He's going to lead them and guide them through the change. Verse 4. 
And where I go, you know. And the way you know. And I'm sure, well, we know because Thomas didn't know. He said, wait a minute, what do you mean we know? Look at the next verse, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He was just setting him up. Because Thomas is looking at this in natural terms. We don't know where you're going. This is why we're anxious. We don't know what this is going to mean. This is why we're anxious. And the, and the Lord says, but you do know the way. And Thomas said, well, no, no, Lord, we don't know. Keep it up there, please. We don't know the way. If we knew the way, I wouldn't be telling you we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Look at verse 6. And Jesus said to them, I am. Whoops. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, this is what I said in the beginning, the way you go through a change, the way you transition to get the benefits of the change is to keep your eyes focused on the truth. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes through this change unless they come through me. So he is saying, here's what, I, here, here's what I'm saying to you. He's saying, you're, there's going to be a change coming. And I know you're anxious now, but don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Because in this change, I'm going to, first of all, you can trust me because I'm the one that's directing this change. You trust my Father, Jesus said, then trust me. Secondly, there's something to look forward to. Because the only reason we're bringing you through this change is there's something better for you on the other side of this change. I know you can't see it now, but I've gone to prepare this way for you. I've gone ahead of you to prepare the way for you, to prepare it for you. And then I'm going to come back for you. And you know the way there. And Thomas says, no, no, I, I don't get it. We don't really, and he says, yes, you do, because you know me. So all you've got to do is stay close to me. All you got to do is keep your eyes on, all you got to do is keep in your relationship with me and I will direct, I'm the way. I'll direct you through this change. All you've got to do is keep your focus on me, your relationship with me. And you know what? That's one of the advantages of, of a season of change because when everything's going well, we don't have to keep our focus on him. We don't think we do. We think we're doing just fine. But you start going through a difficult time and you've got to get a hold of him. What does he have to say? What's the word say? What does Jesus say? What, 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 where's the scripture that I need? What can I get a hold of? And if we learn to develop a relationship with him when things are going easy, when things become tough, then he's right there. In fact, if we're close enough, he's got the answers for you ahead of time. And many times the reason we go through difficult things and changes that God did not orchestrate is because we haven't been listening to him all along. I, I just get the feeling you're kind of all over the place this morning. I know this is a, this is a, this is a, can be a, a, a difficult thing, but we have to talk about it. Really, we have to talk about it. There's nothing scary out there, let me tell you right now. We're not going to turn the sanctuary around. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to go to weird things, and I'm not even talking about that. There's changes in your life. There's seasons. And God wants to direct us to the season, and we have to choose whether we're going to hold on to, the, to, to where we are, the season where we are because we're comfortable in it or even if you're not comfortable in it or we're afraid or we're too old and we're going to get into some of those things too. I've got to move along here. All right, we'll put you back together next week. <laughs> Let's go over to verse 15. 
If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, because he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying to them, first of all, with this change we're about to go through, first of all, you can trust me and you can trust my Father that's directed this. Secondly, he says, and there's a purpose for that, because there's, there's something waiting for you. So although we're talk, he's talking about heaven, whatever changes God has for your life this year, Whatever changes God has for your life, there's something better on the other end of it. So, so you, may have, you may have been laid off and said, oh, my world's come to an end. No, it, it opens an opportunity maybe for something that you couldn't have seen if you stayed where you were. But you don't know that. So to say, you know what? I think there's a better job out there. So I'm just going to resign my job and go because I'm going to trust God. Because he knew there were situations where God had something better for me, but I couldn't trust him enough to just listen and hear. So he had to, re- he had to redirect things. And suddenly what I thought I had, I lost. But that's now made me open to what God had for me that I never would have walked in. If I walked you through the path I got, we went through to get in this position, it never looked like it would come here. I never was wanting that or looking for it. But it was such a, such a convoluted pathway that God directed us. But I look back on that. Every step of that was preparing us. And there's no way I could have heard, John, in 15 years you'll be the senior pastor of Faith Christian Center. If I heard it, I probably would have run from it. But as I followed God, and we followed God and trusted God, sometimes through things that looked like they were taking us backwards. But I had a confidence. We had a confidence that God was directing our life somehow. So when I didn't understand things, I didn't panic. Because I had a basic trust. God loves me. God's watching over me. Somehow, even if I make mistakes, and I made some mistakes, God was still there helping us because He knew I was going to make them. As long as my heart was to serve Him and to follow Him, He's able to redirect your mistakes even. So that's what Jesus is saying. He said, you can trust Him. Jesus is saying, you can trust Me. And then He's saying, so there's, a, there's something good on the other end of this that I'm prepared. And not only that, I'm coming back to help you through the process. I'm going to direct you through the process and I'm going to give you a focal point to go through it. And it's Me. You don't have to get theological. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to lead, read 14 commentaries. It's just me. You keep your eyes on me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You get lost, confused. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Just get your eyes back on me. Just start talking to me about whatever you're going through. You need to learn to do that. Whatever you're going through, just talk to him about it. He already knows. He's not going to be shocked. He said, you did what? Ugh. He knows. He's real. He wants to have a real relationship with you where you can come and talk. Even if you're having trouble talking to him, talk to him about having trouble talking to him. I've had some people I've counseled, go out in the field and yell at him. Just blow your stack at God because there's things clogged up inside of you, the resentment about why this happened. And you guys just need to, he can handle it. He's got big boy pants. He can handle it. What he wants you is being real with him. Being real. The, the, the religion and theology gets us up in our head where I've got to say things the right way and I've got to be afraid of coming to him. No, Jesus is your high priest. 
He ever lives to make intercession for you. He is your go-between so you can go before a holy God just as you are and be honest and real with Him. That's what He wants you to do. So He wants to be there as the way through this. He wants to hold your hand through it. Then He says, not only that, but I, you, I, I'm sending to you a replacement for me to be inside of you. Not just me with you, but to live inside of you, to direct you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. The, the, this helper's been here in me, and now he's going to be in you. That can't happen if I say that things stay the way they are. See, what Jesus was saying to them, if things stay the way they are, you have me with you. But if we allow this to change, I'm going to be in you. And in you is better than with you, because you can't ever lose him or lose track of him. Because he's in you. I'm going to give the same helper that's been in me, in you, who has God's wisdom, God's direction. But that could not happen if they were not willing to change. That could not happen if they tried to hold on to him. In fact, when he was physically raised up on the ascension, they're looking up and an angel appears and asks what seems like the dumbest question. Why are you looking up? Duh. I've never seen this happen before. Where did he go? As if they were going to try to pull him back down again. And he says, don't you remember what he says? Go into Jerusalem and do what he told you to do. Go do what he told you to do. And finally, there was a purpose for this that, 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 that was beyond themselves. Because if they held on, and they couldn't, of course, because there's some changes you, you can't hold on. They're going to happen. The question is, are you going to embrace the change and go through the change with God going through the change with you? They're going to change. But are you going to... I'm, I'm going to be a year older this year. I can't do anything about it. As I tell people, it beats the alternative. Some of you will get that on the way home. There's some change, but, what do you, but if, you, if you resist it and fight it, you'll miss him in the change and you'll deal with it alone. And that's a scary thing to do. I'm going to end with these points we'll start on next time. There's some common myths myths about change. I'll just leave you to think on these things. One of them is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's not true. I've done it. And the other, another is, you know, I'm too old. It's, it's, I, I've done this too long. I can't change. If you're breathing, you can change. It's whether you're willing to or not. And we'll begin to pick up on this next week and put you back together again.